All right, welcome back to part two of Corner Kicks Premier League preview podcast. In part one, we went from Arsenal to Leeds. And in part two, we'll be going from Leicester to Wolverhampton Wanderers. A reminder that we're using the Guardian's transfer page to discuss the ingoing, incoming rather, and outgoings of each Premier League team. And at the end of this episode, you will find our complete 1 to 20 prediction of how the table will turn out. As always, Nathan Strauss, Caleb Rhodes, Nick Gavinden on hand here. And starting, you know, starting off strong uh, in this second half of this episode, uh, or starting off strong in the second half of our Premier League preview, is a team that has not brought in a single player. It is Leicester City, who I think are in real danger of their first regression uh, in their Premier League stint. Oh, I mean, I guess technically they regressed when they didn't win the league after winning the league, but their first major regression since then. Yeah, I think Leicester are in a little bit of danger here. I think the Brendan Rodgers sheen is starting to really wear off. They finished in 12th last season. I think they could be, be in danger of finishing as close to in and around 15th or 16th this season if the mood at the club doesn't shift. Brendan Rodgers is someone who operates a lot on you know, mood and vibes and things like that. Uh, it looks like, you know, they're trying to keep James Madison away from Newcastle, who just tabled a 50 million bid for him. Um, Yuri Tielemans is looking to angle for a move out right now. Jamie Vardy um, is certainly making more headlines off the pitch for the Wagatha Christie stuff than he has done on the pitch in recent times. So it's all looking a little stale at the Foxes right now. And I think if you're looking for a club to make some really drastic in-season moves in terms of, you know, maybe January transfers or perhaps even a mid-season managerial appointment of certain of a certain variety, um, I think Leicester City could be the team that we're looking at here. I, I have a slightly different take on them although once again i think this could all change if if madison and, and telemans do actually leave imminently then yeah they're they're dropping down the table but if they keep basically the squad they have right now and don't bring in anyone else i think they're still set up for a pretty good season um obviously vardy will continue to regress he is 35 now and he is a human being and as we know, he's not, unlike like a Cristiano Ronaldo type character, he's not one to sort of manage his body especially well, to put it lightly. <laughs> um, I do think, though, you know, they will have Wesley Fofana back for this season. I don't um, think they will have Wesley Fofana back. I, I don't think they're going to have Fofana really? either. Yeah, he's going to Chelsea. He's, yeah, Chelsea are, oh. he's Chelsea's, uh, you know, number one center back target. If they can't get Gavardiol from RB Leipzig, it seems like they're turning their attentions towards Fofana. But even then, yeah, I think I just think they okay, have a well, lot of well, well, we'll we'll see. Once again, I'm caveating this where it's like I'm looking at their current squad, and currently they've had no major players leave, and they've brought no one in. But I think Leslie Fofana, who missed basically the entirety of last season with a major injury, was the season prior really, really good, and I think they missed him a lot last year. And I think if they did keep a hold of him and they did have you know all of their wide backs fit for a full season like Ricardo Pereira or Castagna 
then suddenly you have the actual full Leicester team, which I'm not sure we were really able to see very often last season. Um, but if you're right, but if, if Chelsea do buy Fafana, then yes, this whole thing kind of falls apart yeah, um, and, a little bit. And uh, Newcastle are uh, have bid $50 million for James Madison, which is, I think, a, a very ambitious move for Newcastle, which we'll talk about, and also could be devastating for Leicester. Uh, and I think Yuri Tielemans, you know, he has one year left on his deal. So Leicester kind of have to sell this window. Otherwise, he'll just leave on a free. Uh, for a player who's worth, you know, almost 60 million, that is uh, less than ideal. So I have Leicester finishing in 14th this year. I think that uh, Brendan Rodgers is going to be one of the first managers to get sacked. And I almost wonder if it's a move that's beneficial. It doesn't seem like Leicester are terribly serious about improving their squad. And I wonder if there's just too many roadblocks to uh, uh, to making this team any better. But fortunately for them, you know, Europe isn't an issue. They've got players like, uh, you know, Keenan Dews- Kieran Dewsbury-Hall, who's really good last year. He really became a mainstay the second half of the season for them. Uh, but, you know, they- they're not going to be in any danger of getting relegated. They're just, uh, I think, going to find times quite hard uh, this season, in my opinion. And I think on on Caleb's point, I think there are certain instances where you can keep kind of the same bedrock of a team and have it, you know, perform in sort of the same capacity season in, season out. I think it is getting increasingly harder in, you know, the financial mobility of the Premier League to have a mid-table team be able to do that. I think you constantly need to be refreshing the side in a certain way adding new pieces you know buying players in areas where you know you were you know statistically vulnerable last season and I think it's just really it's becoming I really I understand your argument and I think there's there's merit to you know keeping the foundation somewhat the same but I think in in like the Premier League in 2022 it's getting it's getting ever increasingly harder to keep stride and and work in that way we shall see, you know, Leicester, obviously a team that I think a lot of us hold in our hearts because of the way they connect with their fans, etc. So we shall see what happens at the King Power. But a little bit north of there is a team that has splashed the cash, but somehow actually has a negative net spend this summer. Uh, how will Liverpool cope without their uh, most elite goal-scoring threat, Divock Origi? Uh, Nick? It seems only fair to let you tackle Liverpool, who have brought in, you know, Darwin Nunez, Fabio Carvalho, and Calvin Ramsey. I mean, we're gonna finish first or second again. Yes, I'll. Uh, <laughs> I think that's pretty. Shocker. Just, yeah, <laughs> judging on the state of play of the Premier League and everything that we've talked about, and things that we are probably going to talk about in regards to uh, Manchester United and Man City, I think Liverpool are finally poised to finish with above 90 points once again in the Premier League. I think the addition of Darwin Nunez, although we've, you know, paid quite a bit for him and some would say we've overpaid for him, I think we're paying for the player that Jurgen Klopp thinks he's going to be able to develop into, which if the Community Shield is any indication and it is a small indication because the Community Shield is, you know, a very a very fickle beast of a game, it looks like they're they're making a lot of strides in getting Darwin Nunes to speed 
with you know the pressing game with his off the ball work which was a weakness coming in from Benfica um he has scored a goal every game essentially in the Portuguese league a goal every 76 minutes and for Liverpool so far he has already scored four goals um you know counting the preseason you know he had that incredible game that incredible like substitute appearance off the bench against RB Leipzig and his cameo against Man City was really really promising in terms of you know kind of running them ragged being able to do all of that dogged work and then finding finding a poacher's finish at the end of the game to wrap the wrap up the wrap up the trophy for the Reds and I think I think Liverpool are in for another another promising campaign you know they've they've tied down Mo Salah to a new three-year deal which is huge you know that chatter can go away that was I think becoming a bit of a distraction and for a club like Liverpool that's kind of needed a refresh up top for a few seasons Darwin Nunes is a perfect addition for what Klopp and Co are going to want to do and I think the the signing of Calvin Ramsey is going to be really useful especially since Nico Williams leaves the club to chase first team football with Forrest and I think having a backup to Trent someone who won the young player of the year last year in the Scottish league is a perfect way to is a, it's a very Liverpool way of covering that base and I think like Nathan pointed out in the last episode Fabio Carvalho for F- Fabio Carvalho for five million on a free transfer from Fulham it's not free if he costs five million but yeah well I think it was the tribunal thing right because he's under yeah, the yeah, age yeah, fair of, enough. yeah whatever but <laughs> it technically free really five million uh, this kid is insane. This kid, like watching him during preseason, has been so much fun. He wasn't a player that I was really keeping a lot of tabs on until it looked like Liverpool were going to sign him last season, and then I started watching him a little at Fulham. He was electric for Fulham. He has been electric in preseason for Liverpool. This is someone who I think is going to be a little more is going to contribute a little more than people think this season in terms of Liverpool's squad and getting it and breaking into that front three. And so I'm really excited. Harvey Elliott playing a lot more time in preseason, looking like he's going to be a bit more of a mainstay in that midfield as he was at the beginning of last season. Uh, I just think Liverpool are poised to have another really strong campaign on all fronts. Yeah, I think Liverpool are set up really well for this season. I think they've maintained a shocking amount of, of continuity given the fact that, you know, they sold Mane, who had been, you know, one of the centerpieces of the club under the Klopp reign. Um, and I think Nunez so far seems to have slotted in so well. Um, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see once he gets a few more games under his belt. But so far, so good. I also think that they will finish in the top two, but I will, you know, save my my full prediction until the end. One, you know, questionary I have a little bit is, you know, the midfield. You know, some of the players are starting to get a little up there in age. There's no one in the squad who's like 26, unless Nabi Kate is 27. Save myself there. But, you know, the majority of their midfield is you know, of their starting midfield is is around the age of 30. Um, and so I think maybe that's a next season problem is starting to refresh that a little bit. Um, but I think for now, Liverpool are sort of retooled and, and ready to go. Um, 
and I, I, I hope that they succeed this year. Right, after. and I think <laughs> I think the target there is is definitely Jude Bellingham. Right, right, right. and like and that was that was the player that has been. It's kind of been confirmed that Liverpool are like entered some sort of you know process with Borussia Dortmund this summer. Were rebuffed, but it sounds like he's going to be their main man going into next summer. That they want to come in to be that new addition in the midfield. I definitely think we are a midfielder short. Just looking at you know the the composition of our squad, we still have no real direct replacement for Genie Wijnaldum who left last season. But I think hopefully with Harvey Elliott staying fit, you have a bit more cover there. But yeah, I definitely think there's there is a bit of a a somewhat of a of a space available there. Yeah, I obviously have Liverpool, uh, you know, finishing in the top two. Uh, I my only worry is that this team is like a Fabinho injury away, from, and it's obviously something of a truism where like yes, if any team loses its best midfielder, um, you know, it won't go well. But Liverpool have splashed the cash on uh, forwards the last couple of windows, and I wonder if uh, you know they could be persuaded to bring in a first-team quality young midfielder a la Bellingham who's not going to leave this summer. Um, but, you know, Liverpool will be just fine. And another team that will be just fine is the uh, current defending champions, to no one's surprise, uh, Man City, who shockingly have a transfer balance of £75 million, having brought in Erling Holland, Calvin Phillips, uh, Stefan Ortega, a backup goalie on a free Julian Alvarez uh, who technically joined, you know, a, a, a window and a half ago after remaining on loan at river plate. Uh, you know, Calvin Phillips continues the Fabian Delph mold of random English midfielder brought in for backup purposes and to fulfill, uh, you know, the quota Erling Holland, uh, you know, a top, top striker uh, up there with, you know, the best of them, top five in the world right now, uh, you know, will likely be competing for every Ballon d'Or for the next decade with Gillian Mbappe. He joins for, you know, way below market value. Uh, he did miss an absolute sitter against Liverpool in the community shield, but all in all, Man City were a team that didn't really have many glaring weaknesses outside of striker. They now have two top quality young strikers to play, uh, and they will obviously finish either first or second this year the real prize for them i'm sure will be that elusive champions league yeah this is a team this is a manchester city team built to win a champions league and less built to suffocate every side in the premier league um never concede score like 2.2 goals a game and win the title um i think they really have sacrificed a level of control for a level of you know, I don't know, lethality, um, for lack of a better word. I think last season and the season before, you know, with Aguero being injured for much of it, they've been playing around with this kind of strikerless formation. And it wasn't like the kind of Guardiola Barcelona strikerless formation where Messi was a false nine but was scoring like 45 goals a year. It was really kind of a committee approach, which works well over 38 games. But as we've seen, Tends to lose you um, in the dying stages of the Champions League. With Holland, they're going to have that sort of last little bit. Um, and Julian Alvarez as well, I think has gone slightly under the radar. Um, but he's also really talented and scored like, 
a month or two ago, six goals in a, like the South American Champions League um, against like a Peruvian team, I think. So a little bit, you know, Capital One copy type levels, but I think he's really talented. Um, however, I do think that we will see City drop a few more points than normal in the league. Um, and that could be the difference there, but a scary side for sure. They remain. Caleb, I think you're spot on. That's exactly what I have here in my notes as well. And I think you could really feel this sort of metamorphosis and change in the community shield against Liverpool, where you kind of got a sense of how it's not going to be like a seamless transition going from that false nine every every field is the midfield you know everywhere the midfield is everywhere Manchester City are just like this big orb of midfield play Erling Holland is going to offer something very different for them and it's going to be something that you know without a player like Raheem Sterling who I think did a lot in terms of working the transitions for Man City you know being able to progress the ball forward being able to cut inside being able to be that man you know Gabriel Jesus has a lot of those similar qualities as well. He's able to drop in and get the ball. Erling Holland is someone who is definitely like a lot less willing to drop into midfield and get the ball. He's definitely willing to carry the ball forward at rapid pace, and it's terrifying when he's able to do that. But I think he kind of likes being, you know, more of the ice man when it comes to finishing off moves rather than being, you know, the person who starts them. And I think it's going to take a little bit of that Guardiola dust, um, which is you know what he did with players like Mares, players like Sterling, Foden. And I think what you're kind of starting to see with Jack Grealish after a year at City is kind of mold them into the player that that suits that sort of City system. But it's definitely going to be, it's definitely not going to be an instant change. And I think it could, could be one that leads to, you know, a bit of a slower start in the Premier League this season. But obviously, you know, we're so used to City going on these crazy, you know, 12 to 14 game runs of not dropping points. And I definitely think that could be in the cards again. They're just that good and that deep. But uh, I'm I'm certainly intrigued to see how this, this sort of evolution goes. But I don't think it's going to be as easy a one as, you know, some people might think. The other side of Manchester, I think, has not done well at all in my personal opinion <laughs> um it's been incredibly mm. underwhelming uh in the market for eric ten Hag. uh united have brought in lissandra martinez after ajax cleverly used arsenal to drive up his asking price they paid about 20 million more than his market value almost 50 million pounds for a five foot nine center back tyrell malasia is just dutch uh luke shaw but uh, slightly slimmer, he will probably be their starting left back on day one. Uh, Christian Eriksen on a free is their best move by far. Uh, of course, placing a lot of faith uh, in a player who's slightly aging, but he was really good for Brentford last year, and I think everyone is rooting for him to succeed. Uh, but obviously, as we talked about last episode, the will-they-won't-they they with Ronaldo is overshadowing this entire team, as well as the um, you know failed bid for Frankie de Jong. United have to bring in a striker, I would imagine. Uh, but this has been a hilariously disastrous summer for them so far, given the fact that they have overpaid for Martinez, brought in a, an overrated attacking left back in Malasia, 
and otherwise done just about not. I didn't appreciate how bad Man U's defense was last year until I was, you know, prepping for this episode. They finished with a goal difference of zero and conceded 57 goals. uh, that, That is a stunning amount of goals to concede for a team that had, you know, splashed the cash on Varane. So I think that, you know, bringing in Lissandro uh, Martinez, who, you know, is undersized, but I think was a very good defender at Ajax, um, isn't the worst move um, to try to help staunch some of the bleeding. Um, But you're right, on the front foot, basically from midfield up, this Man U team has issues. I still don't think they have a very strong, you know, midfield two pairing, especially with Pogba leaving, whatever you thought about his general performances at the club. Going forward, they can probably hope for, you know, Jaden Sancho having an improved season. It'd be hard for Marcus Rashford to have a worse season. But up front, I still think, right, Ronaldo's the only, like, true striker on their roster. Unless Anthony Martial, who really yo-yos in terms of quality and was, you know, fairly, you know, average at best at Sevilla on loan last year is going to suddenly morph into, you know, an actual striker. They need to sign someone yesterday. They, I assume that they must have hung all of their, you know, hopes on getting Darwin Nunez. That didn't work out. So far, I am not expecting a lot from Eric Ten Hag. And I'm not sure whether he is going to be at fault, whether the club's at fault. Um, But certainly, you know, I think he and Tuchel are probably, you know, the two managers in the top six feeling the least supported um, at the moment. Yeah, and it it doesn't help that they've spent so many weeks chasing Frankie de Jong, who clearly has not reciprocated their interest in him. And he has been the person that they've they've rested a lot of hopes on in this transfer window. He's not going to come, it seems, unless something drastically changes in which, you know, Barcelona somehow convince him to leave. And I mean, I think you guys you guys are spot on, like they've had a very disappointing window thus far. I think they're going to need to rely on Eric Ten Hag improving the likes of Jaden Sancho, getting Rashford something up to speed resembling the player that he was before the Euros last summer. And I think improving the likes of, can't believe I'm saying this, improving the likes of Harry Maguire, um, bringing Luke Shaw back up to his, you know, Euros caliber level. Uh, Diogo Delo, it looks like, is going to start for them at right back. It seems like Juan Basaka has officially fallen out of favor i think a few interesting pieces here are whether or not donny van de beek gets more time under his former coach um i think the erickson signing is good it's always good to get a player of his quality on a free but it kind of feels like and i I think it's going to be it's going to work out better than this but it kind of feels like a bit falcowish in terms of them just like (laughs) signing signing the best player available to them on the market and so I'm not quite sure how he fits into their overall scheme, you know, where he's going to play. Does Bruno Fernandes, you know, take up a different position on the field? Um, I'm, I'm really, I think there's a lot of work left to be done 
at Manchester United. And I'm, I'm glad that there is because I want them to suffer mightily as they have done for the past few seasons. <laughs> and uh, I hope I hope Eric Ten Hag continues to, you know, have a, a struggling time, a tough time with this United job because they're a complicated beast to figure out. And it's made uh, no no more easier by the fact that Cristiano Ronaldo is very visibly still frustrated by wearing a Manchester United shirt as he got into a bit of a you know a verbal altercation with Ten Hag in their last friendly. So that relationship has not started out on the right foot, and I don't think Manchester United are going to start on the right foot this season either. Indeed, we shall see. And of course, I think United are of the clubs that we've talked about probably the most likely. Uh, along with Chelsea, to still do a big deal uh, before the close of the window. But we shall move on to uh, Riyadh, the Riyadh of the North. Uh, Newcastle United, who have, as everyone expected, uh, brought in more players following their spending spree last winter. They finally signed Sven Botman, who, after not being good enough for Ajax, was really, really good at Lille, uh, and he signs for 31 mil. Uh, he'll, I think, instantly be their best center back. Uh, they bring in Matt Target on a permanent deal after having joined, uh, I think, in winter last season from Villa, once Villa brought in Gigne. Uh And Nick Pope joins from relegated Burnley. He is, I, I think, significantly better than someone like Martin Dubravka, and he should be their number one. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think they they are still trying to sign James Madison, as he mentioned in part one and, and you know all of this business that they've done in the last uh you know nine or so months suggests a real ambition to push towards those Europa League spots and I'm not entirely sure if they're going to be able to but I have a theory and that's um you know with the Winter World Cup this year teams that have a lot of internationals might suffer from more injuries in the middle and latter stages of this year Newcastle have a lot of Englishmen who are good but not good enough to make it into the World Cup squad. And I wonder if the players that they have uh, will actually set them up well for a sort of second half of the season push. So I, uh, I'm i pretty bullish on Newcastle, uh, and I don't see any reason why anyone wouldn't be. I, I think they'll certainly finish in the top half of the table. Yeah, I, yeah, think, I think... Oh, sorry, Caleb. I, I think that all these transfers have been a lot more sensible than I expected. And I wonder if... Newcastle having been able to, you know, look at the history of, you know, the Chelsea takeover, the City takeover, etc., um, are taking a bit more of a kind of slow and steady ratcheting it up approach to building their squad. Um, I, I also, you know, I'm not totally sure they can make it up to Europa League level, but that's definitely the ambition. I think the other thing going for them this summer, um, or just in general, rather, is that Wherever they are at mid-season, they have the funds to get deals done in January. And so I think you have to view that this squad is especially malleable and likely to evolve, especially considering that, you know, money is is no object for them. Um, and so, so far, I think they seem to be managing this process relatively well. They had an excellent end to last season. Um, and, you know, Botman, Target, et cetera, Nick Pope, too, will only kind of, I think, further strengthen um, this side. So I think Newcastle will be a a relatively 
big force to be reckoned with for a lot of clubs, especially clubs that are probably used to rolling um, this side um, as they have been rather poor for the past you know, decade or so, in all honesty. Right, and I think they're going to have some continuity in defense for the first time in a few seasons. Kieran Trippier, I think, was a really key addition to them last season. You know, he's still going to be there. He's probably going to take the armband off of Jamal Lascelles. I think he's an extremely quality player. Obviously, he won a La Liga with Diego Simeone in, in, in La Liga. And Newcastle were the most improved team in the Premier League in the second half of, of last season. Eddie Howe really locked into something with that group that I still think had, you know, a lot of vestiges of the old Newcastle. And I think, Caleb, what you're saying is absolutely right, that they are playing somewhat of a long game here. They know that there's no real need to rush. They have the finances to keep this thing afloat until they can really make that push for Champions League football. And for right now, I think stability stability is the best option for them, especially in a season that's going to be as crazy and hectic as a World Cup stuffed in the middle of a, of a season's calendar. So for Newcastle and for Eddie Howe, I think continuity is the best thing that they can they can have in signing a player like Sven Botman, who's immediately going to improve them, can be a key player for this team for the next 10 or so seasons, 8 to 10 seasons, is extremely key. And I imagine they're going to sign you know, a few more midfielders and attackers. I think they're a bit light up top as it is right now, especially since Joe Linton has made that transition into kind of a defensive number eight. <laughs> Which he's he's fairly good at, and I think it shows that. Yeah, wait is is he going to keep that position this season? Do you think like the midfielder? Yeah, I think I think he he is. is. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, does he make Brazil squad? Is he in the Brazil squad? No, 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 I don't think he does. But but I think it seems like Newcastle obviously are angling for a player like James Madison, someone of that type, and they're also in the market for Maxwell Cornet from Burnley. (laughs) So it's going to be intriguing to see you know where they go and get their attackers from. To bolster themselves, <laughs> Maxwell who was not on loan at Burnley, uh, as he <laughs> no, was to his to his chagrin, was not on yeah. loan at Burnley. But I think he, I think those are players, players of that caliber, are what they have their eye on that on right now, and that only goes to you know, slowly and steadily boost their their squad and their chances of creeping their way up the table. Well, a team that will uh, really have to creep their way up the table is Nottingham Forest, who, you know, once Premier League mainstays are back, they have done, uh, I think, a very typical promoted side uh, type of business, which is just sign a bunch of players and hope some of them stick. Uh, They lost their fan favorite goalie, Bryce Samba, to Lens. They also lost Jed Spence, who doesn't show up uh, on their transfers out because he was technically on loan, but he was a really key part in their three-five-two. They brought in <gasps> Taiwo Awaniyi, who is uh, Union Berlin's all-time record goal scorer uh, for seventeen million. Uh, Neko, Nico Williams joins from Liverpool somehow for sixteen million pounds. Orel Mangala uh, joins from Stuttgart in the midfield. Musa Niakate joins from Mines. Omar Richards, who was one of those random Englishmen that played at Bayern 2 and then you know made some appearances off the bench for Bayern last year, joins for almost $10 million. Uh, their big name addition is Jesse Lingard, who joins on a one-year deal at a reported 
thousand pounds per week salary. Uh, Wayne Hennessy uh, will hopefully be keeping his hands at his sides as he joins to be a backup goalie. Dean Henderson will probably be their number one, loaned in from United. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the strategy of quantity over quality never works out. And I think Forrest are going to be in a lot of trouble this year. I have them immediately returning back to their rightful home uh, in the championship. I disagree. I think Steve Cooper, as their manager, who I have a lot of faith in, you know, he's someone who comes from the Melwood AXA training line of coaches, former Liverpool Academy coach, was an amazing coach at Swansea and has he totally turned Nottingham Forest around in less than a season last year. Nottingham Forest were a club that were starting in the 16th to 20th range of the championship last season. Steve Cooper came in and immediately bolstered them towards a promotion push, which is really insane if you think about it and just how hectic the championship is as a league. I definitely think they're facing an uphill curve. I think they have kind of quote-unquote pulled a Watford here in terms of signing a lot of players from various pockets of Europe. But I think the players that they signed are quite quality. Musa Nikate is someone who I think lots of clubs have an eyeing from Mainz in the Bundesliga, someone who's a left-footed center back. He can play left back as well, very sturdy defender. Omar Richards, I think, is someone who, when he was in the championship at Reading, at, at Reading had a lot of potential. I think hopefully we'll finally get to see some of that. Nico Williams and Taiwo Awonyi are really good transfers. Uh, Neko Williams is someone who is incredible going forward. I think his defensive capabilities are something that you're going to need to kind of make up for in some capacity, but I trust a coach like Cooper to find a way to do that. But he's he's pacey. He's got a lot of technique. I think as, you know, signing the backup right back for from Liverpool for 16 mil is never going to be, you know, a terrible thing if you're coming up from the championship, especially at the age of, you know, 2021. 20, and Awoni is is a risk. It's a gamble, but he's a beast. Like, he is an absolute beast. This guy is, he, first of all, he's massive. I think people are going to be really surprised by just how he towers over Premier League defenders. And he scored 15 goals in the Bundesliga last season, which is a great return. And I think if you're a new side coming up, the thing that you need to ensure is that you have consistent goal production coming in. And I think in the likes of Jesse Lingard, who, when he was at West Ham, really overperformed, but I think can hopefully provide some statistical contribution playing every single game at Nottingham Forest and a one knee, they, they can key in on a, some, on a really interesting statistical pairing there, hopefully. So I have a bit more optimism about Forest. I think the feel-good factor is really important for a team coming up and a team as historic as, as Nottingham Forest coming up is always going to have a really impressive and contagious feel good factor. So I'm a little bit more bullish. I don't think they make it out of the top or make it out of the, the bottom five, six per se, but I definitely think they have a good chance of staying up. No, I think it's going to be a forest fire. Um, and I, I just think it's so difficult when you bring in like 10 t- players into your first team to A, have any consistency from the team before, um, and B, you know, actually just improve upon the side. So, yes, they have a good manager. Yes, they have the feel-good factor. 
but there's just so much turnover happening and i think that generally you know ends poorly i think <laughs> amongst you know kind of nigerian strikers joining newly promoted sides um in the premier league you know i think Awani is significantly better than than Dennis, who I famously harped on last season. Um, and Neka Williams as well is definitely quality business. But I just think there's too much uncertainty into how this squad kind of congeals together. And I am not buying, you know, them surviving. Um, although they do have a cool logo. So I appreciate that. Yes, they do have a really cool logo, uh, you know, up the forest. But uh, yeah, I'm glad we were able to see the forest for the trees, as it were. But let's move back to the South Coast to, uh, you know, despite Nick's best guess, a team that is still in the Premier League, uh, Southampton, who again, I think have done pretty good business this summer. They brought in Joe Aribo for only $6 million. Uh, he can play pretty much anywhere in the midfield. Uh, he joins from Rangers after a really good AFCON uh, he, you know, was, was pretty impressive on the Rangers team that made it to the uh, Europa League final. They brought in Saku Mara, a uh, 19-year-old from Bordeaux. Uh, Gavin Bazunu, Ireland's number one, uh, joins from Man City, continuing Southampton's tradition of bringing in uh, Man City goalies. And Romeo Lavia joins for $12 million from Man City, uh, they're hoping he will be something of a Douglas Louise type purchase uh, joining from City's Academy. But by and large, they kept the good bits of their team uh, intact. They lose some of their, uh, you know, squad players like Shane Long, who goes back to his hometown, Reading. Uh, Fraser Forster leaves to become Spurs backup slash third keeper. Uh, and Thierry Small and Dan Unlundulu couple of their uh, youth players head out on loan. But by and large, Southampton are a team that should hope to avoid the relegation fight. But I would be shocked if they do anything serious. You know, I, I view them as having a very limited range, like from 16th to 13th, perhaps. Boys? No. This, this team's finishing 20th again. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I joke. I joke. I joke. I do agree with you, though, Nathan. I, I do think there's a small amount of mobility here for Southampton. I really like some of the transfers that they have made. Armel Belikotchap has been one of the best defenders in the Bundesliga's FI for the past few seasons. Um, and he obviously made that leap last year. And Joe Aribo, I think, is an incredible transfer from Rangers at only 6 million is, is a bargain really for what this guy is going to be able to bring to the Southampton midfield, a key cog in both Steven Gerrard and Giovanni van Bronckhorst's sides, you know, always contributed about eight goals around eight goals and eight assists in the Scottish Premiership every season uh, was an electric player in the Europa league last year brings, brings a little bit of everything to to this, I think, kind of somewhat stale Southampton team towards the end of last season. And the same with Lavia, too, who I think you said is very much in the mold of a, of a Douglas Louise. And clearly City value him as well, since they've included a £40 million buyback clause in his contract. And I'm intrigued to see Southampton roll out the Romeo-Romeo midfield duo 
Obviously, they have Oriol Romeo on their books, and now Romeo Lavia. So that's going to be a fun, a fun one for commentators. I think so. my my question to Southampton is like, where are the goals coming from? I mean, that's been the question for a few years now, but they still don't really have that many forwards. Che Adams is not it, and none of the players they've really added, unless you think Mara is going to score like 10 Premier League goals as a 20-year-old. Um, and, you know, full disclosure, I haven't watched very much of him, but that seems unlikely to me. So do you guys see goals coming from anywhere? Or or is this a kind of just like hope they can get enough done, probably grab a bunch of draws um, and see what happens? Here's what you do. You get a bunch of quick players and you just have them get fouled outside the box. And you hope James Ward-Prowse scores about like 15 free kicks this season. Yes, James Ward-Prowse, who is already running away with the all-time Premier League free kick uh, goal-scoring record. But I think they'll be fine. You know, I think I think they will be they'll be totally fine. They can always move someone like Genepo up top if they really need to. Uh, I think that's a legit question, though. Yeah, for I sure. Mean, they, they have they haven't replaced Danny Ings since they let him go to Aston Villa. Well, and Shea I think Adams there's... got seven goals. Can he get ten? You know, right? Can 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 you know Joe Ar- can Joe Aribo play just behind the striker and contribute about you know seven to eight goals? I think they're certainly going to try and do like a goals by committee approach here and just have a lot of movement and flexibility in terms of who's getting into the box when. So. We shall see. I think they'll be, they'll be fine. I mean, with Southampton, it seems like finishing fifteenth to thirteenth is always the priority every season, and whatever they get extra as a bonus. So now we move to North London, who have uh, to. Now we move to North London, where Tottenham uh, have certainly made some marquee moves. They bring in Richarlison for fifty million, like we talked about earlier. Uh, He really helped Everton stay afloat for a number of years after moving, uh, you know, from Watford. Nick, we know he's a personal uh, favorite of yours. Uh, Eves Basuma joins from Brighton. Jed Spence joins from Middlesbrough, as we mentioned when we were talking about Nottingham Forest. Clement Longley joins kind of shockingly from Barcelona on a season-long loan as he looks to, I guess, restart his career uh, and Ivan Perisic joins on a free transfer, uh, reuniting with Antonio Conte once again. I think they have made some really interesting moves uh, all in all. I do think that these moves signal a sort of win-now mentality. uh, And I'm curious how uh, this team performs over the course of an entire season. You know, can they replicate last season's finish, uh, given that they'll have to compete in the Champions League as well? I think they can. I trust Conte. I trust Conte with the full season. I personally don't like Richarlison. I don't think anyone of us on the pod do. And I don't see exactly what everyone sees in him as a player. But certainly Conte sees something and Conte knows more than I do. Um, I think bringing in Longley, who, yes, was technically the lowest rated player in the Liga, though he was playing you know, garbage minutes um, at the end of a few La Liga games, although tended to give up penalties in those minutes, it must be said, 
or get sent off, which are really high value plays um, for a center back. We'll provide some good cover um, as a left footed center back um, for them. Basuma, as I talked about when we were talking about Brighton, is a really good kind of two way player. And that's the kind of type of midfielder that Conte seems to like. Um, and in general, I think it's important to see that, you know, Levy has really supported his manager, which is not always the case. And so I'm keeping the faith right now um, for Spurs. I mean, Harry Kane, I think, will score more goals this year than last year, and Son should continue, you know, his tear as well. I also think they did good, you know, business in getting Ajax to pay, you know, 27-odd million pounds for Bergvine. So all in all, I think this club is in a really good place. But as you said, Nathan, they really are also in, you know, a win-now mode. But Conte wins. Conte wins, and I think he intends to do the same um, at Tottenham. Yeah, I'm pretty much in concert here. I think win now is exactly what Antonio Conte does, and he always sets himself up to do that. He brings in, you know, that one or those one to two players that know exactly what he wants. In this case, it's Ivan Perisic, who I think is going to slot in right in that left wing back role, just as he did at Inter when they won Serie A, and I think. Players like Clement Lenglet and Yves Basuma signal just a case of bringing in players who we know can do it to a certain extent. You know, Clement Lenglet has not had, you know, the most incredible career at Barcelona, but he's certainly a very serviceable center back, can play on the left-hand side of that back three, makes it so that they don't have to play Ben Davis at, uh, <laughs> at left-sided center back anymore. Certainly an upgrade in that regard. Richarlison is a big question mark for me. I don't even know if he makes it into their starting front three. I think Dan Kulisevsky offers way more as an all-around attacker and something a little different from Son Kane and can be that, you know, third man running a little better, a little better than someone like Richarlison can, who I think is very ball dominant as a player. Um but, you know, certainly as an option off the bench and to give a player to give, you know, Hunman Son a rest in Champions League game or, you know, a Carabao Cup game or just as a general rotational piece just to make it so that those two, Kane and Son, don't need to be, you know, playing 90-ish minutes every single game, I think is, it can't be a bad thing, certainly. Jed Spence is interesting. Jed Spence is someone who lit the championship up last season with Nottingham Forest, but I don't think his metrics have quite shown that he is certainly top six quality as a right wing back quite yet. I also That's don't think be... he was a Conte signing. Like from some of the interviews, it seems like Conte was like, yeah, I mean, the club brought him in. He seems okay. Um, yeah. So I don't know if that bodes particularly well for him, but uh, obviously they have Emerson who we have mixed feelings on as well. And Matt Doherty, who I think Conte clearly likes and trusts. So they have, uh, they have a lot of options, Tottenham. And I think they can certainly keep the pace in a top four race. And I think I think they will just because Antonio Conte never really seems to to fail when he has all the pieces he wants together in one place. Sticking in London, West Ham, they have really spent this summer. Uh, you know, they finally uh, you know made the the move for Alphonse Ariola permanent. He'll be presumably 
you know, they're number one. Uh, they spent $30 million for Nayef Aguerd, bringing him in from Rennes. Uh, you know, he was a, a first-choice center-back for a Europa Conference League team there. Their biggest deal in terms of profile was beating out PSG and, allegedly, Juventus for Gianluca Scamacca, uh, paying $35 million for the very, very tall uh, aerial threat of a forward who uh, has prompted some some mixed opinions. Uh, you know, we had a bit of a conversation about it uh, off the air, and they also brought in Flynn Downs, uh, continuing their trend of purchasing well from the championship. So uh, I'm curious to see what West Ham do. Uh, you know, they are in a weird spot because I think the gap between them and the big six is maybe more considerable this year than it was last year. Uh, and so it's whether or not they can take that jump that'll really determine whether or not this money uh, will have been well spent in retrospect. Yeah, I mean, I think I think they've had a good window. I think for once, you know, David Moyes has splashed the cash on some players. I think signing Areola is re-signing Areola permanently is a really good deal, especially since Fabianski is really getting up there in age. Aguerd is a solid move. He was a very capable defender, both in Liga and in the Conference League, and I think not having Craig Dawson play every single week is a good thing, especially because he's kind of getting up there. Uh, I think they should probably bring in a midfielder to bolster their ranks, particularly since Mark Noble uh, obviously retired with his boyhood club last season, and he was someone who was always available. Also, Alex Kral left them to go back to Sporting to Spartak Moscow. And so I think probably signing a, a midfielder a center midfielder, center defensive midfielder would go a long way in terms of, you know, bolstering their squad, especially since they're going to be in the conference league this season. Skamaka is obviously the player who divides opinions on this podcast. I think he's a good buy. <laughs> I think he's a solid buy for now. I think he, he obviously had a bit of the overperforminess similar to, um, I mean, I think it's very, it's a very different case and obviously they have very different career trajectories so far. But he had a bit of the overperformingness, just like Dusan Vlahovic did coming into Juve. But I think these are the kinds of players that David Moyes likes to cultivate in his team. Um, you know, you think about the, like, Nikita Jelovic. You think about the... I think West Ham have enough around him to support him. Certainly more than uh, than Sassuolo did. I think Fornals is someone who got around six goals and four assists last season. Jared Bowen got 12 assists last season. Mikel Antonio got a surprising eight assists last season and 10 goals. Jared Bowen also getting 12 goals. Fornals getting six goals. And so I think there's enough production around Skamaka to really support him in his first season in the Premier League. And I think David Moyes knows how to develop a player of his skill set and you know attributes and I, I i think this is a really good move for west ham to get a player to get a young player that you know psg and uve and top clubs are looking at and to to kind of cultivate a younger star i think is something that we haven't seen Moyes do in a little while and i'm intrigued to see 
to see what happens here. I think for now I'm going to classify it as goodbye with a few question marks. I think I, I, I'm i in the Nathan camp of not really rating Skamaka all that much. That said, West Ham haven't really had a, a consistent striker for many years. And Antonio, while I think getting the job done is not you know, totally a striker by trade. West Ham, though, also have a very poor record of purchasing strikers, too. So I think time will tell. Um, I think he's a little bit one-dimensional. Um, and West Ham will have to kind of put things on a platter or on his head, basically, um, in order to get goals from him. And hopefully for them, they, they do. Um, Nathan, what was that stat that you sent us about their um, striker purchasing? Oh, I think it was something along the lines of they've purchased 50 strikers in like a decade and 20 of them haven't scored a goal or something like that. I mean, I'll try and find it in the in the chat. Uh, but it was... No, it was me who posted this. Um, they they have... This, in, the, in the Sullivan ownership, the Golden Sullivan ownership, they have bought 50 strikers, 20 of which have not scored for the club. So that's my take on Skamaka. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I reckon he'll score at least one. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, West Ham had to do some smart spending for a couple of years uh, and now seem to have gone back to spending big money. So we'll see how that uh, you know, pans out for them. But the last team, a team that really has been incredibly inactive, uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers, a team that, uh, you know, have a very clear modus operandi. This time, shockingly, the only player they've signed is not Portuguese, but instead the young Irish defender, Nathan Collins. Uh, they get Adama back from Barcelona after Barca decided not to make that permanent. Uh, but, you know, they loaned out their record transfer, Fabio Silva, to Anderlecht. This squad is looking really, 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 really thin. Uh, I'm not entirely sure how Wolves, uh, you know, finish above 15th with what they have in place right now. I mean, Wolves have been thin for years now at this point and they just get thinner and thinner um you know there's a reason they they binned off Automa Traore to begin with um and I think having watched him more closely at Barcelona now I'm glad we did not exercise the purchase option because he's just so one-dimensional um maybe the thinking this year is you know with Jimenez fully you know, back to it, he can add some goals. But otherwise, this is another team that, barring some transfer activity, um, is in for a long, long season. Um, and, you know, players like Moutinho are not getting any younger, and players like Neves uh, will have options to leave. And so I think Wolves are definitely a club that could be trending down around, you know, the winter transfer window. Um, and some players could try to force their way out, which would just send them plummeting even further. 
So I don't have them going down, um, but I think this project definitely stalled about two seasons ago, and they're in a kind of dangerous holding pattern at this point. Yeah, I think the only thing that's saving them right now somewhat is that Bruno Lodge is clearly a really effective coach with what Wolves have given him, which is not very much. Nathan Collins is a solid addition at the back, clearly overperformed for Burnley last season. Uh, other than that, I am not uh, not super bullish on Wolves' chances of breaking into the top 10 this season. Uh, Pedro Neto is a player of particular interest. I think he, he can be a real spark plug for them. But other than that, yeah, I'm not, I don't really know where the production is coming from. Like you said, Caleb, like Jean Moutinho is a year older. They haven't really looked to invest in the midfield all that much. I'm not, I'm not super sure what's, you know, causing the stagnation here, whether it's COVID, you know, whether it's a lack of interest from the owners, but yeah, I mean, it's not looking, it's not looking amazing right now at Wolves. All right. Well, we've gone through 20 teams. Now it's time, I think, for us to go through our tables. Last year, we went around going sort of position by position. Do you guys think that's the best way to do it uh, again this year? Yes. All right. Who wants to go? No, no. Yes. Uh, Who wants to go first for the winner? Do we go? Yeah, wait. So we go from first to 20th? Yeah. Okay. Um, I can go first. In first place, I have Liverpool. In first place, I have Manchester City. In first place, I have Manchester City. Can we do it snake draft? So Nathan, sure. you do second. Shockingly, in second place, I have Liverpool. In second place by a point, I have Liverpool. I think we're going to finish like on 94 points and see you're going to finish on 95 or something like that again. Oh, for a second, I thought that you had assigned point values to every team on the table. <laughs> Nick went through and calculated every single fixture. Nick went fixture by fixture. <laughs> yeah. I was like, that's why it was taking you so long. It all makes sense now. Um, I have Manchester City. In second place. In third place, I have Arsenal. In third place, I have Tottenham Hotspur. In third place, I have Chelsea. In fourth place, I have Arsenal. In fourth place, I have Arsenal. In fourth place, I have Spurs. In fifth place, I have Chelsea. In fifth place, I have Chelsea Football Club. And in fifth place, I have Spurs. In sixth place, I have Manchester United. In sixth place, I have Nottingham Forest. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I have Manchester United in sixth. I also have Manchester United in sixth. None of us could, could, could drop them any further. But um, in seventh place, I have Newcastle. In seventh place, I have West Ham United. In seventh, I have Brighton and Hove Albion. Uh, in eighth, I have West Ham. In eighth, I have Aston Villa. In eighth, I have West Ham. Oh, and sorry. In ninth, I have Aston Villa. In ninth, I have Crystal Palace. In ninth, I have Newcastle. In tenth, I have Aston Villa. In tenth, I have Newcastle. In tenth, I have Leeds. Oh, and then in, sorry, in 11th, I have, I know I introduced this idea, so really it's kind of lame. 
that I'm the one charging with this. Um, but also, even in the other way, I would have been the first person through each time, so it doesn't really make sense. Um, okay, Leeds in eleventh. I have Leicester. In eleventh, I have Brighton. In eleventh, I have Crystal Palace. And in twelfth, I have Brentford. In twelfth, I have Leicester. In twelfth, I have Crystal Palace. <laughs> In 13th, I have Brighton. I, I was just playing you guys there. Don't <laughs> no, worry. I figured. I figured. In 14th, in what we were 13th. In 13th, I have Southampton. In 13th, I have Leeds. In 14th, I have Leicester. In 14th, I have Wolves. I also have Wolves in 14th. And in 15th, I have Fulham. Ooh. In 15th, I have Brentford. In 15th, I have Southampton. In 16th, I have Everton. In 16th, I have Leeds. In 16th, I have Brentford. In 17th, I have Everton Football Club. In 17th, <laughs> I have Nottingham Forest. Oh! Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> uh, in 17th, I have Wolves. In 18th, I have Fulham. In 18th, I have Fulham. In 18th, I have Nottingham Forest. And then in 19th, I have Southampton. (laughs) (laughs) Unbelievable. (laughs) He's done it. It's been done again. Oh, my God. Unreal. Oh, my God. I love it. (laughs) In 19th, I have... Bournemouth Football Club. Oh, yeah. oh my god, you have Everton in 20th? That's awesome. <laughs> um, <laughs> in 19th, I have Nottingham Forest, and going down immediately in 20th, I have Bournemouth. In 20th place, <laughs> I have Frank, Frank and the boys. <laughs> the Toffees. <laughs> Are going down, <laughs> and they're going down in style. Twentieth oh place at the foot of the table. Uh in twentieth place, I have Bournemouth, and that's Woo! it. There's no twenty-first. It's twenty-team nope. league. Epic. Epic, epic stuff as always. Yes, a marathon. A marathon, indeed. Well. Two hours and 15 minutes later, we have all of our predictions in. We will revisit this uh, 10 months from now when we'll not only have a new Premier League champion, we will have a new world champion, etc., uh, etc., etc. Et uh, we hope you've enjoyed listening. Uh, surely there will be more moves to come, but when they do, we'll cover it all here on Corner Kicks. So I've been Nathan Strauss. Caleb Rhodes. Nick Gavinden. Will the Saints survive the drop for a second year? We'll have to keep tuning in to find out. <laughs>